Sometimes we find ourselves in a new place with a new business. It might be radically different, not only from other businesses in the market, but also different from what we've done in the past. But when everything is new and difficult to explain, how can you talk about your business effectively? Well, today, you'll hear from an entrepreneur who has taken what she learned inside a big advertising agency as well as at MTV to launch a successful design business featuring chicken feathers. If you ever need to take what you knew from one area and apply it to a brand new one, then you'll particularly enjoy this episode. It's Andy Cohen-Healy of The Feathered Head on the Manager Message Podcast. Welcome to the Manager Message Podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. Here each week, we discuss three foundational components for growing your business. First, your message, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want to share. Second, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And third, management habits that will shape your culture and turn those improvements into a competitive advantage. We know it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Today, it's my pleasure to introduce you to a longtime friend with a unique and fun entrepreneurial journey, one that shows you can tell your story well, even when going into new and unexpected territory. Andy Cohen-Healy wound up starting a business combining fashion and bird feathers, even though for most of her life, she admittedly didn't like birds. So how does that even happen? Well, after many years in New York City, Andy moved to California in order to be with her soon-to-be husband, Hugh. When the two of them were moving into their new house, they were surprised to find the previous owners had left a gift, two chicks. Andy grew up in New Jersey, not exactly chicken country. But by the fourth day, Andy says she had fallen in chicken love. At the same time, Andy was in a job she didn't love at all. She wasn't using the creative talent she had developed earlier with the Leo Burnett Advertising Agency in Chicago or managing satellite operations for MTV in New York. And then along came a little serendipity. See, as a later-in-life bride, Andy didn't want the typical items for her wedding day. She considered those, quote, bridal blah, end quote, by the time Andy and her groom had five spoiled pet chickens, she first thought about carrying a bouquet of their feathers down the aisle, but then she had a eureka type of moment. Why not create a bridal headpiece using those plumes? She crafted a, I'll get this description right, chicken, ostrich, feather, organza, and pearl fascinator. It gained so many compliments, Andy became convinced there was a market for one-of-a-kind hair ornaments for brides and partygoers. She launched a business called The Feathered Head, and it has become a thriving business. The Feathered Head has been named a top 10 favorite by the LA Fashion District and has been featured in the Los Angeles Times style section. One of Andy's hats even made the Today Show during a royal wedding. When not working over a table filled with feathers and vintage jewelry, Andy studies Japanese taiko drumming and has toured internationally with her troupe Makoto Taiko. We got to investigate that too. In her spare time, she tends to her flock of now six hens, Tippy, Paisley, Pixel, Luna, Zilla, and Party Bird. 
Now, Andy, you may have thought that having your designs on the Today Show was a thing, but welcome to the real big time. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks so much, Jim. So happy to be here. (laughs) This is wonderful. Now, Andy, we'll definitely want to uh, unpack more about how you came uh, in this not exactly linear path into the the feathered head. Doesn't everyone go from being a a corporate executive to a feather artisan? I think it's pretty clear. I know. It's kind of a tired story, but we'll let you talk about some of the details with yours. But I would love to kind of cut to the chicken chase here. The point of a story and a a point that I think will be a benefit to a lot of our listeners is the designs that you have. In fact, the very business itself is very distinctive. Mm -hmm. And that seems like a bit of a double-edged sword if you're an entrepreneur who are trying to describe your business, get potential buyers to understand it. So, Andy, how have you been able to create interest in your designs and attract buyers when they might not have any understanding ahead of time of what it is that you create? Well, there are a lot of different ways. And just to kind of build upon some of the things you said in the introduction... I use feathers in a lot of my pieces, but not all of my pieces. There's a pretty wide range. And I have found that because there is such a broad range, the easiest way for me to do it and the most direct is to show my pieces physically. And that might be at a market show. That's probably the best way that I get the message out. Because if I give a verbal description, people don't really grasp the aesthetics of it. So if I put my product in front of them in some way, whether, as I said, a market show, or it could be an in-studio consultation, just someplace or a trunk show, they have to see the pieces to, to try them on, to feel them, to get a sense of them. And that's, I find that by doing that, the interest creates itself. I don't need to talk anybody into it. They see it and go crazy. So that that's really my best avenue for creating interest. Now, that makes a lot of sense because people can see it up close. They can try things on. They can touch and compare and, and the like, although that's pretty labor intensive, right? So you have to have a pretty good Extremely. idea about where your best potential customers gather and what their interests are. So how have you come to engage them and and understand? And and has your ideal customer changed over time? Yes and yes. (laughs) (laughs) There's been a tremendous amount of trial and error. When I was first starting out, I think because I was just sort of pursuing it as an interest, it hadn't grown to the point where it is now. And I had an idea of who my customer was. And that idea was, I'm going to cater to brides specifically, because that's how I got into this business by doing my own bridal headpiece. So I thought, okay, I'm going to create pieces that are the equivalent of what my chicken feather headpiece was to me. I want to create something personal for brides. And so I started doing a lot of bridal shows because that seemed to be where I would find my customer. But what I found out in fairly short order was that that was not at all where my customer was because the shows are extraordinarily expensive. The lead time between when a potential customer might see my piece and when she would actually buy it. Sometimes that's two years for a bride and I need a much more direct selling channel. So 
in the beginning, I, even though I thought that that would be the best place to be, it turned out not to be at all. So as my business has morphed and I've, I've added more categories such as not only do I deal with brides, but probably at this point, the larger part of my customer base would be people who are really interested in vintage. After bridal, the other part of my business is what I call cocktail, which is essentially anything that is party related. That could be a black tie event. It could be a holiday celebration. It could be a religious celebration. Uh, It could be the Kentucky Derby. It could be performance. So within those broad categories are subcategories. And I decided instead of trying to wrap my arms around the entire bridal market, which is quite difficult and saturated, I would break down those other categories and approach them individually. So for my vintage customers, um, since I was doing more vintage hat restoration and curation and I would go to where vintage people were, to vintage shows. And I, I would, to support the performance aspect of my business, I would I do a show in Las Vegas every year called the Burlesque Hall of Fame because burlesque performers, I'm not talking about the giant Vegas showgirl headpieces, but these are women that love dressing up just in general and they love vintage. Same with Disney. I have a huge Disney following, the other side of the scale, obviously. And through targeting shows and social media within those categories, I found my people. And it seems like, and I I want to come to social media part as well, because this really is a passionate area. When people would get something, they want something that's very distinctive and personal and seems to fit them and fits mm-hmm. a sense of community. But it seems like there could be a trap for something like this. So you you had this eureka moment early mm-hmm. on about using the feathers for your own bridal headpiece. And as you say, that was kind of your entree into thinking, right. oh, this was so cool and special that I bet mm-hmm. other people like me in this same sort of situation might like something like this as well. And I right. think a lot of entrepreneurs will go to what they find to be, you know, the good part is you do have this passion. You have this idea of like, oh, I think there's something here. But at the same time, uh, it seems like some entrepreneurs can get so much in, in their own passion and what they like that they have a hard time, as you did, kind of shifting gears a little bit and considering yes. others. So was there a similar sort of eureka moment or was it just a bit of trial and error of saying, yeah, there was this core, but then it got into some other areas and I kind of had to let the market develop and kind of had to find that buyer. I think that's a perfect way to summarize it. In my case, there was a huge amount of trial and error because my business is not really defined. It's not under a category. My client base is so broad that I found that the most effective way to reach people was just to pay attention to who's buying my product. And I had my brides who, as you and I talked about, that that was really my first love that I wanted to create something that was as special for them as my piece was for me. And that continues to this day to be who my bride is. But since I found out that the broad-based bridal market was not really interested in what I was doing, it was too specialized, it was unique. My customer is not someone who's going to a store like David's Bridal, big box bridal type store. 
that that's not who would come to me. So when I really started looking at, well, who is coming to me? How are they finding me? That helped me refine and define who my customer was. And I, I had to follow that. In a million years, I would not have thought the burlesque community. That, that's not the first thing that would spring to mind when you think, <laughs> well, who might my customer be? Or a Disney person. These are things that developed and I had to pay attention because there was consistency and momentum. And so it didn't matter that I myself am not a Disney person or a burlesque performer, but in talking to these people, I've learned what what they're interested in and I've catered to that. So that's where I've been able to use some of my past experience of really listening and paying attention to what the trends are and who the customer is. Is there any sort of connecting thread there between, as you say, a burlesque community, party goers, you know, people at fundraisers <laughs> and things like that versus uh, all these other uh, other tribes? Yes. Yes. Believe it or not, there is. And I think thread is probably a, an apt word for it because there's <laughs> I not- I didn't even mean to do that, Andy. Right, uh, so, right. Yeah. I think if you were to do the the, the Venn diagram of where what the intersection of these groups are, I think what it's about, my customer- wants to be unique. My customer does not want to fade into the woodwork. My tagline that I just love is be your own event. Don't wait for something to happen where you have a chance to dress up. Be your own event. Celebrate your beauty. My customers want something that's going to represent who they are. Now, they might be very conservative and they only want something small, or they may want a showstopper where all eyes are on them when they walk into the room. But I think what connects them is they want to celebrate their individuality. How long does it take to create one of your creations? And I understand that it will probably... Fairly broad spectrum, as you said. Some things are, are sure. going to be more more simple, and others are going to be, as you say, showstoppers. But this is a labor and, and design intensive process, right? Mm-hmm. It can be. It isn't always. It really depends on what the piece is. If I'm doing something with feathers, that might take a long time because feathers do not do what you want them to do. You have to bend to their will, and so to get things to flow, that might take a long time. Also, if I'm not doing something with feathers, but I I love working with vintage jewelry and incorporating vintage jewelry into my pieces. If I'm working with a lot of, let's say, crystals or like Swarovski crystals or pearls or something that involves a lot of fabric folds, that might take a long time. But there are some pieces that are actually quite simple. If I'm taking, let's say, an organza flower and I'm adding adding a, a vintage uh, brooch, that probably would not take that long. My custom pieces are the ones that really tend to take a long time. And just as a, an example of kind of the odd and unique client that I have and love, I was making a bridal piece for a woman that was getting married on a mountaintop in New Zealand. And what I had to do on top of designing the piece for her, which was unusual, but her request was, I need the the headpiece to be able to 
withstand the helicopter rotors above <laughs> above my head, like on a mountaintop. So it had to be able to to withstand gale force winds. That's not the normal design directive. So no, probably didn't think I was going to be working on one of those today. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So that took a really long time because I literally had to engineer it so that being blown by a helicopter on a mountaintop in New Zealand, that she would still have her headpiece looking good. And I love that. That truly is my favorite kind of assignment. They're part of this that obviously is, you know, you finding them. And and that's probably an unusual story on its own of how do you actually come across a customer who Mm -hmm. needs a mountaintop New Zealand wedding, (laughs) especially reinforced uh, one of a kind headpiece. Sure. So part of that is you talked about how do you find your people and, and being open to that. Some of your people may be in places that you hadn't thought about before and Mm -hmm. just paying attention to all that. The other is how do they find you? Right. And so again, for something that is not usual, this is not a a package good. That's not something you're going to have in mass at department stores, mm-hmm. et cetera. So let's talk a little, you mentioned social media and we can talk about PR and publicity and, and sure. partnerships and all those other things. So let's mm-hmm. talk about the role of social media. How did you decide what to prioritize, especially, I guess, in terms of the visual element of this? And were there some social media platforms or some things that you decided to ignore or just haven't worked out as well for your kind of business? Yeah. I mean, social media is such, I mean, obviously in today's world, you can't be in business or it's difficult to be in business without some kind of presence on social media. But as a tiny little business, my challenge was, as you just suggested, you know, finding out which one or ones would be the one or ones to work and not work. And again, I, I keep using trial and error, but I really had to experiment. And because one of the things that makes my business fun and unique is also the thing that makes it so challenging as far as social media is concerned. Having all of these different audiences, I either have to pick and choose or just do a general approach. And sometimes one works better than than others. Personally, I don't love social media from a personal standpoint. But from a business standpoint, I do understand that I have an extremely visual product and it is tailor-made for Instagram. Instagram has been far and away the best for my product because of the hashtags and being able to have that personal interaction. It's been a very valuable selling tool and also just a branding tool. Facebook, I have had a much harder time with because as Facebook's algorithm has changed and unless you're paying money to promote and do the ads and things like that, it is so confusing to me. And since I'm doing my social media myself, I am thoroughly flummoxed by Facebook and it hasn't been that effective for me. When they changed their algorithm and all of a sudden there were like three people who would see a post. And I just thought, I'm not going to spend my time trying to figure out Facebook. So I put my energy into Instagram and what I put on Instagram appears on Facebook, but my engagement has absolutely been overwhelmingly Instagram because of the visual product. So 
I've been a big fan of that. I also have Pinterest. It's hard to do everything. It just, I don't have enough hours in the day to do all of the social media. And I think just about every a small entrepreneur or solopreneur would say the same thing. There just aren't enough hours in the day to do all of that. But the other tricky part for me with any social media and perhaps hiring someone to do it is that I am the voice of the feathered head. My enthusiasm and my passion and my design sense is what makes me special or what makes the feathered head special. So it's very hard for me to have to give that over to someone else and I've I've experimented with it and the voice isn't the same. I it it doesn't feel authentic and organic to me. So I have kind of come to terms with just focusing on a smaller kind of laser focus on Instagram with a little bit of coverage on the other channels. So that kind of a primary and secondary, which for my kind of business, which is professional services and speaking and consulting and -hmm. the like, and I've also, you know, been trying to weigh those. And it really has come down for me that LinkedIn is the primary and and Twitter kind of a secondary thing. How interesting. Yeah. And Twitter, much like you, I actually enjoy the experience as a LinkedIn user of going on in and and reading other people's things and seeing posts and doing research and that that sort of thing. I frankly don't like Twitter very much because yeah. I, I don't like the way that people are on Twitter. So Right, right. Do you think that since with your business now you're more of a a b2b type business correct i mean you're I you're can be both so both business to business and business to consumer and then i also will do some speaking say to um associations you know industry groups and, right. and, and the like but it's you know it's primarily businesses of different sizes who want to get their own messaging better or they want a speaker they want somebody to right. do workshops and coaching and you know all kind of around a similar kind of result, but it's very business focused. Right, right. I would think LinkedIn would be an excellent channel for for you, mm-hmm. just because of that nature. And and also, it's harder for your business and my business are sort of opposites in that I have a, an extremely visual and tangible product, and what you're providing, I think, is. It would be difficult to show on Instagram or... I'm not an Etsy candidate, Andy. No, I'm not a... (laughs) (laughs) For me, and for a lot of people who are involved in professional services of some part, they're really selling an outcome. Right. Oh, that's that's an interesting way to put it. And it's delivered in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't lend itself to a really visual medium of of an Instagram or a Pinterest. But I thought that was a really interesting point. Because so much of you deal in a tangible product, but it has a very interesting and unique character about it. And each Mm -hmm. one's a little bit unique. So people have to experience it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a huge emotional component to it. You don't think that necessarily when you say, oh, here's a vintage hat or a headpiece, but it is extraordinarily emotional. And I've seen it happen time and time again. I I used to say that I didn't do a good job unless I had a bride crying in my studio when she <laughs> tried her headpiece <laughs> on. And, and not because the gown didn't fit. It was because the, <laughs> right, the right, headpiece that's problem. <laughs> evoked such a wonderful response. <laughs> no, but it, it is truly emotional. Yeah. And Andy, that um, another point on this, especially for someone with a either 
solo creator or someone that has a, a small business and you're trying to get traction, I mean, the best thing, of course, is to get other people, happy customers, talking about referring yes. you, providing testimonials, and and getting the flywheel going that way. Sure. It can't just be you going out to these different social media channels and these different events and working so hard to develop your customer base. So in general, what has been the strategy or what's been the experience that you've had in having people share that? Talk about it maybe at an event when someone comes up to them and says, where in the world did you find that wonderful headpiece? Or sharing on social media or just other ways of having those customers help you carry that message and grow the business? There are several different ways. One is that whenever, at least for a custom piece, I will always ask for a testimonial, which I then post on my website and sometimes will post on, on social media. When I do a market event, obviously I can't get that kind of information, but I will on the spot ask them to please follow the feathered head on Instagram or Facebook and to please post a picture of themselves wearing the piece and tag the feathered head. Sometimes they'll send me pictures. And one of my favorite things that I have on my Instagram feed is kind of happy clients. I always hashtag it uh, client love, where I want to show off my clients and they send me pictures. So that is authentic. That's not just me tooting my own horn. That's They've taken the time to, to do that. And so from a client standpoint, if they post, it's, I love that. But short of that, if they send me a picture and then I can, I can post. Aside from that, one of the ways that I will take advantage of other people getting the word out so that I don't have to do everything on my own, oftentimes at market events or possibly a networking event, I will meet bloggers and they go crazy, bloggers and stylists who borrow my pieces for a particular photo shoot or they're blogging about, let's say they're doing a blog about vintage hats or they're doing a blog about cool designers in the LA area. They'll come to my studio and they just love the studio and they get a real sense of what it is that I'm trying to do. And they will then do a blog post or some kind of an article or a photo shoot with my pieces and credit my pieces. And then somebody will see it and on it goes. So those have been very, very effective for me in terms of getting the word out without advertising, let's say. And along those lines, because I want to talk a little bit about the the PR element of this, and you touched on some areas with bloggers and, and designers stylists themselves would be really important in your market. Mm -hmm. Just a little encouragement in your experience in asking for testimonials. I find a Mm -hmm. lot of people who are really reticent, whether they're in business services or a consumer product or whatever it is, and they do good work and they really have good customer relationships or client relationships but they're really hesitant to ask. Sometimes I I have been that way in the past. I've gotten over it. But has your experience been good? I I guess on occasion, maybe you're told no, but just some encouragement about what that has been like, how you ask and what that has meant for your business. Well, again, it's for what I'm doing, there's such a personal aspect to it. But I agree, there's something that makes us so uncomfortable about asking someone for some kind words, as if you're asking 
for them to, you know, for a yay me type of testimonial. And that's not at all what, what it is. My particular approach, and I have found it easier to do this because it is so personal, is after a job is completely done, let's say I've designed a piece or that's typically the application of it because if it's if I'm just selling something at a market show, there isn't that personal bond. They're not going to have as much of a sense of me and how I work and how I cater to my clients. After the job is completely done, I will send them an email and I basically say, if you're comfortable doing this, I would be so grateful if you would write two or three sentences about your general experience. It could be anything. I make it very easy for them to, so that they don't think that they have to write huge numbers of paragraphs. Just, I ask for a couple of sentences about their experience with the feathered head, the final headpiece that they got, their experience with me, anything that they want to say. And what I add to that is if you're comfortable doing this, and of course you don't have to if you're not comfortable doing it, but if you are, it will help other people to feel better about using a small company like me or a, a single person, single designer like me. And I have never been turned down ever. And sometimes I'll go back to my website and I'll look at my testimonials and I'll think, wow, that's this is why I do what I do. Because the words are so heartfelt and they're so supportive. And if I were a customer looking for someone to design a unique headpiece, I would look at those testimonials and say, yeah, I, I want to use her because they speak from the heart. And if they don't respond, I think maybe that's happened once or twice. And I just feel like maybe the email got lost because I can't imagine that someone wouldn't say nice things, but I never bring it up again. I ask once and I would say 99.999% of the time they respond with something lovely. And I, I encourage everyone to do that, not in a pushy way, but just from the standpoint of it will make other people feel comfortable using me or my business. I think it's a really important point for, for everyone listening is Andy's doing a few things here. First, she's making it easy. You're also doing it in a, again, not a pushy way. You're not asking people to do anything that feels artificial. They have made a conscious choice to buy this from you. And being able to share that helps make them even more confident in what they did. But I thought that was a really important point you brought up because your customers, your clients have made a choice to deal with a small business. They're not dealing with a major brand or a, you know, a big off the shelf producer of headpiece or any sort of fashion item. Mm -hmm. And so it's really part of their persona as consumers is they they yeah. like to support that. So yeah. I think you're just pointing out it's a way for them to reinforce something that they already clearly believe in. And that seems like a really, as you say, effective, but also very authentic strategy. Right. Let's talk a bit about PR and publicity. Now mm -hmm. you have received, as we mentioned in the intro, some really nice press coverage and you know, frankly, your designs would seem to be really interesting, especially for TV. It's something mm -hmm. really cool to show, right? But still, mm -hmm. you still got to get noticed by producers, journalists, bloggers, whomever in the first place. Right. So how have you considered PR and, and media of different sorts as part of your strategy? And, and are you doing this on your own? Are you getting some help there as well? 
Well, in the beginning, when I, when I was first starting out and I didn't know anything, <laughs> I did hire a PR agent and she was very helpful in the beginning. And actually it was she who got my hat on the Today Show and in a number of national bridal magazines and the LA Times and, and so on. So she was, she was very effective from that standpoint. She was also extremely expensive. And while I had this great press coverage, I couldn't justify the expense as a, as a tiny little startup. I just didn't have that money to spend. So I kind of paid attention to what she was doing and started doing a certain amount of that myself. TV, I just decided not to try and target too specifically because it's just too big to get your arms around. Magazines are much more effective for me and easier to harness as our bloggers and and so on. I found there's one tool that for someone who's in a business, a small startup business, there's one tool that I would absolutely recommend for PR and and not so much advertising per se, but HARO, which is H-A-R-O, which stands for help a reporter out, is it's an email that comes, I think, twice a day or, or so on. Yes. And it lists queries of writers, bloggers, writers, TV stations. It, it has just a myriad of topics, anything from relationship and dating to someone seeking commentary on cryptocurrency. I mean, it's every different topic in the world, business and finance, healthcare, tech, lifestyle. And I have had a tremendous amount of success responding to those and getting published. And the ones that, that have been important to me have been things like changing careers, later in life bride, unusual startup businesses or unusual career paths trends in the bridal industry, trends in the vintage industry. So, and I respond to those and I tell my story and I have gotten national magazine coverage from that. I've been on TV from that. I, it's been extraordinary what I've been able to accomplish by looking at those queries. So I, I would encourage people to take a look at that. And message manager listeners, I can also say, help a reporter out, H-A-R-O, is a service that, um, and I say subscribe to it, you basically get emails, yes. as Andy said. Yeah, a couple times a day. And you can you can sign up by category. So there's a one for, in my case, business and finance. And so most of the time, you'll see those queries and it won't relate to you. Right. <laughs> but there'll be times when, when it does, and I encourage you to think about your product, your service, your organization. How does it tie into not just you know, your fascination with the product or service itself, inherently it's not that newsworthy, but if it ties into something that's trendy or seasonal or in the news, so it, be it a royal wedding or brides uh, who are getting married later in life or whatever the case may be, is, as Andy has, has tagged into that. So it's kind of an easy thing. You can scan it in a, a minute or two and just mm -hmm. see if there's anything worth responding to. And it's incredibly effective. I can't recommend it enough for, uh, well, for anyone really, because the topics are so broad. Oh, excellent. Now, Andy, um, 
we've covered a lot of things that I think are really applicable to other entrepreneurs, small businesses, career changers, and the like. There's one here, uh, one topic that I had here in my notes, uh, as you can clearly see, that doesn't fit. And it's it's taiko drumming. <laughs> so I, a song that I've not seen you or uh, in action or heard you talk about it, but these are the big drums, right? They look like a, you know, a clothes washer, uh, <laughs> that size. And, it's, a lovely and it, it's very yes. kind of athletic. It's <laughs> dance and movement and pounding on drums. Is this correct? You're involved in taiko drumming? What's that all about? Well, I have been involved in it. I, I've trailed off a bit just because as the needs of my business have gotten more intense, I, I've kind of lost the the time that I would need to spend on taiko drumming. But so I don't do it as much as I used to, but it's still very much a part of me. And it's not as off the beaten path as you might <laughs> you might think. Yeah, it it's an amazing instrument. It's an amazing practice. It is in its own way sort of a, a form of communication. When you play taiko drums and they I wouldn't necessarily use the elegant phrase that you did that <laughs> washing machine. But, <laughs> but, but these are a large scale. It's not like a little they set are of manga large you, barrels you put on your lap, right? Drums, yeah. And with an incredibly powerful sound you can play them alone or in an ensemble. And the concept of them, because they have such a big booming sound, is that for the players, it is a form of communication in a sense. They're they're sending energy out into the audience through their performance. And then the audience, because the audience just goes crazy, and that gives energy back to the players. And there there's a very dynamic quality to it. So it's it's communication. It's just a different kind. Does it is just a nice counter to whereas most of the time, as you say, you're you're looking at very intricate things at a table, a design table, working with feathers and pins and and things like that. And then there are these times you take big sticks and you just pound on something. <laughs> because who doesn't benefit from that? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure if the audience is really getting this, but it makes me feel much better. I know. Well, I mean, in a strange way, there really is a lot of overlap. Yeah, you're getting your your um, frustrations out by banging a big drum with big sticks. But on the other hand, there it is somewhat related to the work that I do because with Tycho, they're, they're very precisely articulated rhythms and movements that you do to create that drum sound. And with design work, of course, that's precise as well. A, a totally different application, but the concept is sort of the same. It's truly paying attention to what you're doing, regardless of the medium. You have to really think about it. Am I putting the right energy into it? Am I putting the right spin on this? So even though it seems wildly different, there are some similarities. Andy Cohen-Healy has successfully connected the dots among uh, advertising, promotion, MTV, feathers, and Tyco. <laughs> no small task, my friend. Uh, how can... It's a gift. It is a gift. <laughs> <laughs> so how can our listeners uh, see the feathered head and the creations that you have and the, the kinds of, of clients that you're dealing with? Well, there is a website, which is 
www.thefeatheredhead.com. And my Instagram account is at thefeatheredhead, just as one word. And in looking at the either the website or Instagram or even Facebook for that matter, I always announce my upcoming shows. So if anyone is in the area, they can do that or they can call. The number is on the website and they can make an appointment to come to the studio. And that's probably the easiest way to do it. Andy, it's been a delight uh, to catch up with you. It has been a delight, Jim. Andy's story is one that uh, I included in uh, my upcoming book, The Science of Customer Connections, just as, as an illustration, whether it be something radically different, a side hustle that you wanted to make into a business, a career change. There's so many times uh, that so many of us are having not that straight line in our careers, but some sometimes radically different paths or steps along the way in our path. And just understanding that, understanding your clientele, getting the word out, enabling them to talk to one another. I think there's just a lot of encouragement and uh, really love your story, love your business and appreciate Andy, you joining us on the Manager Message Podcast. Thanks so much, Jim. I have just had a blast. Such an interesting story from Andy Cohen-Healy, longtime friend, as I mentioned there at the start of the podcast, about how she took a new business and it for you or someone you know, it may be a side gig or a real big change in what they're doing professionally and how to position that, how to get the word out, how to find your audience, find your market. I thought not only was that such a good story to include here on the podcast, and talk to Andy directly. But in my upcoming book, which is called The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business, I have, although I weave other stories through um, the first nine chapters of the book, chapter 10, the final one, is going into more detail on different stories. Some of them are friends, some of them are instances that I know well as a consultant or speaker, and some of them happen to me personally, and some of them I just happen to know about. And they cover all sorts of different topics about how do you keep an organization growing through generational change. There was uh, accelerating the growth of a great idea, how to get everyone up to speed faster when you have new people coming into your company or people who are changing roles. Andy's story was one of a couple that I included in a heading called Making a Radical Change in Professional Identity. There are other stories that illustrate how to use messaging when you're just getting started, how to build identity, and even how to have success and growth when you have a bit of a me-too or commodity type of product or service. All illustrate how effective messaging can help your idea take off and to grow your business in many different scenarios. So, I'm really looking forward to that coming out. We will cover some other themes and topics and stories from that book as we get closer to the publication date of September the 1st. As always, I'm very happy that you joined us here on the Manager Message Podcast. To make sure you don't miss an episode, make sure you subscribe if you haven't done so already. Ratings and five-star reviews make it easier for other business professionals to find us in search By all means, please uh, tell a friend, tell a colleague, and we'll continue to be growing the audience and the impact for the podcast. 
happy to talk directly as well. That's the most fun. You may have suggestions for the podcast. You may want to bounce a messaging idea. You might have an organization that needs to sharpen its message. Maybe you know of a professional association or company that might be a great fit to have me visit as a professional speaker. You can email me directly, jim at jimcar.com, the website, jimcar.com, K-A-R-R-H. Connect with me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim Carr. And my mobile number is also on the website. Again, if you'd like to talk directly, love to hear from you. And as always, I appreciate your time and enthusiasm for letting your world know about what it is that you do and the value that you offer. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.